Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. I'm really excited about this episode. Dr. Allison Mitchell puts her program director hat for us, shares her tips, her pet peeves. And what I really appreciate is how she shares with us how her experience as a Black woman uh, informs how she navigates professionally and enhances how she executes her responsibilities as a program director. Please enjoy. You know, you're a program director now. You know, what recommendations do you have for all these trainees right now who are just like flipping out? So it does get better. Remember flipping out and like thinking about applications and whether if I put this one word here or didn't put this here, would would the program value what I valued? And um, so there is hope and it gets better. I became program director because I, you know, after doing OB fellowship, I got really involved with um, education on the OB anesthesia rotation and found that I really liked teaching. I like mentorship. I like forming connection with trainees because I think that those were really important parts of my journey kind of led me to pursue this, this pathway. I became an associate program director and then, um, a program director really like the idea of being able to advocate for for all the residents, but for residents of color, I like the idea of being able to like wear my natural hair in interviews so people could yeah. at least see that you could wear your natural hair here. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought it would be a great opportunity to have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's a humbling job, um, the ability to have impact and to help somebody else's career and to mentor and guide. Um, is really and and to also create change um, on a on a larger scale is you say this is like a humbling it's a humbling position but it's like yeah. you know when I'm at the ASA conference and I'm amongst all the residents and medical students you know if somebody had program director on their badge it was like the sea the Red Sea has parted and it's I, like ah, you know and it's like wow it's almost for you to say humbling when I see this is like incredibly I know it's really hard so I feel like. <laughs> Part of this is part of this is me, but I think I've occupied, you know, I I have occupied space as a black woman my entire life, which has never felt like a position of power, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't walk into rooms and like people are just like, oh my God, that's the doctor. Let's um and so it's so ironic to me to like have gone through life in this skin and to now be like in a position where people like see my title and just automatically you're like, well, you have something important to say. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is different from how I've occupied space in the world before. So it's a interesting thing to get my head around um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, again, even if I don't perceive myself as having power, I realize that the position does come with that. And so um, 
it's very, it's very interesting. And so that's why I say it's humbling. Ah, when you're a black woman navigating these spaces where it's like white male predominant, you know, white male patriarchy tries to say living with a black woman in this country. And it's not flattering. Always having to walk across you know, and not wanting to step on a landmine and be labeled yeah. as an angry black person or abrasive. Yeah, no, and I am, yeah. you know, you you All know me. Things. And so I am a, a relatively cheerful yeah, person, yeah. but I also like occupy a space where I'm like, well, you don't say it like that else and you can't be the angry black woman. Like yeah. everybody else could say that how they would like to, but you need to remember <laughs> who right. you are. Right. Um, informs how I approach conflict, how I deal with things. And um, it probably has affected my, how I, you know, just occupy space in the world, have lots of black female physicians and across all specialties. And I remember it was like my first year of being attending. And there was another, I had a friend who was a cardiology attending and we were like, does this feeling go away? This imposter and I know that I've worked hard. Like I, like there are tear stains on my, like, like I have put in the, I put in the man hours. I have done it. I have like shiny certificates to say that I've done it. And it's so, it's so baffling to me that you still have this like little voice or like, but did you do it? And so it's, it's, you know, the journey of a lifetime battling that. Yeah. And, and that honestly, I, I think it's important to recognize that that voice that's, you know, doubting, that's not yours, right? That's the like amalgamation of all of the micro ingressions and all these experiences that you've internalized that you didn't even think you like internalized, right? You thought you just kind of pushed it off, but it's like, no, you remember, you felt that, you remember that, you cataloged that and it all comes out in this voice, right? I know. (laughs) And you're like, why is this the voice that's playing? (laughs) And, And not like, uh, I have learned also that like, because I think that, you know, being a young female black attending, like I, when I initially walked into rooms, people were like, well, what are you talking about? And I would just, I remember like the first, my first year as an attending, I was like every plan I'm like, I'm doing it. And I like would practice and I'm like, I'm doing it because X, Y, or Z, 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 Z. And I had like 15 reasons that I was just so ready for someone to question anything that I said or decided. And I was like, well, I have all this backup. And I do think that like going through that, like, and I don't know that that was always healthy, but now I think when I approach patient care situations, conflict, like I'm like, well, I'm doing it because of X, Y, or Z. Like I have a very well thought out reason and I'm a probably a really good physician because I have thought of like, all of the things that I think that you may say yep, in response yep. to that. And because of that, I have, I have the reason why I have, I have it all, all my ducks are in a row because I right. think that somebody else is going to be like, no, actually I don't agree with you. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't answer your question about like, what can applicants do? Like what, what is, what, yeah, what is are you guys it looking for? for? I, you know, and every program is different and every program has strengths and weaknesses. And so what I, you, and it's not always easy to discern what those are. And so I think the first thing that you can do is research, which is sometimes like finding somebody to talk to from that place, because I think our residents give a pretty clear picture of like what our life is like here. Um, And I think that speaks more highly than, you know, a very, you know, Mm-hmm. websites, the, you know, mm-hmm. promotional materials, mm-hmm. uh, the things that 
that programs put out, um, not because they're untrue, but just because I think having that personal perspective is really helpful mm-hmm. to making decisions. Um, but also helping you to navigate whether like, you know, are you a program that gets out at 3 p.m. every day? And I know that I need dedicated study time. And so like, if you're in the OR till five every day, then that may not be a great program for you because you need that study time or you in research when I graduate, well, then you probably need to go to a very academic place because it's going to help you get to where, you, where you'd like to go. Um, so I think knowing the program helps. I also think knowing yourself, right? So like everybody has strengths and weaknesses. We're not all, you know, perfect beings that just excel at everything. And so knowing um, what things would help you succeed versus not, you know, which aren't as or the things that aren't as helpful for you can be can be good to to know. So whether that's you know support, community, research, quality, like whatever it is that you want to, the space you want to occupy, um, how can can those things help? And then your application. So I you know I don't think that test scores have any bearing. And there's a lot of literature that test scores have no bearing on who you are as a physician person, anything like that. But I I think figuring out how your, your studying strategies for these tests is a really important part of mm-hmm. um, medical school and, and of the journey, just because the tests don't stop. Yeah, <laughs> They just right. don't stop for a long time, but it is the hoop that is exist right now. And so you, I think you have to put effort into how do you navigate those hoops? So yeah. whether that's, do I save money and like take a course? Do I like mm-hmm. do well on these podcasts? Do I do do I like study with books better? And so I think navigating that even as early as like when you're starting to take your steps um, can be really important. I think being on top of your, your um, I think the things that matter that help you succeed in all of life really are important during application season. So like being on time, having complete applications, um, you know, really making sure that you excel during um, times when you're working with people who are going to write you letters. Um, I think all of those things really add up. And then my biggest thing is like being authentic throughout your journey. So that my biggest pet peeve is if people have these things on your CV and you're like, well, I did research in this basic science lab. And I'm like, tell me about your experience. They're like, well, and then they read me the title of the paper or they like, they give me the same information that's like typed onto their application. So that to me doesn't read as like, I authentically really felt part of this, or I sometimes I'll get like, well, I wasn't really in charge of deciding this or owning your story and owning your journey is important. And so if you, if you're putting it on your CV, be excited about it. You know, like if it was like, sometimes people put things and I'm like, well, you know, like I was an Uber driver and like, I learned X, Y, and Z from Uber driving and it was really great. And I got, you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's totally perfect to put on there if that had an impact on you. And, right. you know, I think it did because it's on your application and then we, it stalls the conversation when I'm like, oh, you didn't actually care about this. It just mm-hmm. was something to do. Um, so I, I think that authenticity is really important and, mm-hmm. you know, like, did you volunteer at the same place or did you volunteer somewhere in high school and like came back and did it when you were in medical school? Did you not have time to volunteer because you were doing X, Y, or Z? Did you play college sports? And like, you learned a lot from that. Did you have a job because you were trying to pay your way through school? And so like you had a, you know, 
a job working at Applebee's. Like, well, that's your journey and you did that and you gained something from that. You know, honestly, I feel like people who work in customer service jobs probably have better life skills than most of us because you've had to deal with people, um, which is people in medicine typically don't work in an isolated bubble. And so people skills or communication skills, conflict resolution are huge parts of a lot of what we do. And especially as anesthesiologists, so communication, leadership, you know, team building is really important to our job because you are leading teams. You're communicating with people all day, every day. And if you know how to do those things effectively, my other pet peeve that I hear is like, anesthesia has a great lifestyle. Like it's a great lifestyle specialty. Uh, And I think I, I love anesthesia. Like when I sit at home at council people, you know, do you look at surgeons and think that's an excellent quality of life? And most of the time people tell me no. And I'm like, well, please name a time when a surgeon is in the hospital operating and there's not an anesthesiologist present. Yeah. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that number will be very, very, very small. Like occasionally maybe they open somebody bedside in the ICU. But other than that, there is very little opportunity for surgeons to work um, in the operating room without an anesthesiologist present. And so I think understanding that this journey does not mean that you will, you know, work a, a nine to two job for the rest of your career though I'm sure that job exists somewhere, not that lifestyle and, you know, work-life balance shouldn't be an important part of your like overall consideration of, of what you want to do. But I don't know that that's the reason I chose anesthesia or the reason that I would recommend that someone chooses anesthesia. Cause I think we, we work hard. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, there's no question. <laughs> there's, there's we no question. Right. And so what I love is that a, a lot of what you mentioned about the tips I actually had a podcast episode come out today on Ray Corderless yeah. Do's and Don'ts. And so yeah. I'll post some of that. And then also the interviewing, you know, yeah. um, about sharing your story and being enthusiastic. That that is yeah. that is, you know, literally. And so I love it because it's like, oh, we didn't even have this conversation. And you're no, like, No, I know. It's it's, it's it's so it's so good. Now you mentioned being an advocate and how being a yeah. program director really allows you to, to step into that role. Um, can you give us an example of like how you had to advocate for somebody um, when perhaps maybe other people were overlooking some of the qualities yeah. you appreciated? So I think there's always times when people, again, not everybody succeeds at the same rate and everybody, I try to, and my big thing is everybody is working on something. And sometimes when people are working on something, uh, it doesn't always come across in the same way. And there's a lot of like cultural and there's a lot of context behind why people may have difficulty with part A versus part B versus part C. Um, and I think being an advocate um, to me, and one of the things I like is like trying to look at the whole picture. Like, yeah, this was hard for you, but why is this hard for you? Is this hard because you're, you know, I don't like talking, like, I don't like, talking back to people because it feels disrespectful. Well, you have to talk back to people in medicine. And so like, that's something that we can explore and talk about ways to overcome. But there are a lot of things that, you know, I think for whatever reason, people have habits, traits, tendencies that can come from not just 
a lack of knowledge or a lack of confidence or a lack of whatever, there's a lot to unpack. And I think part of what I think of being an advocate is looking at the whole picture and how to hook you up with resources. Um, Part of it, I think being an advocate is I don't know everything and I don't know everybody and I don't, there's there's a lot that I'm not great at. Um, But part of it is hooking you up to the right people and the right places and the right opportunities. Um, And so that's what I hope to do um, as a a program director Um, and really kind of, you know, not, really hoping to help you find your bliss, right? Like I'm really happy in my career and my, this place I'm in in my life. And so how do you find that place? And what does it look like for you? And it's not going to look the same. It doesn't look the same. Like I, this happy place does not look like what I thought my happy place would be. Um, And your career and your goals all change. And so part of that is kind of recognizing when those things shift and how that's okay. And what what you need to get from where you are to where you would like to be next. Um yeah, that is I I love I love your story. I, I like how you really ended with finding your bliss and you found it. Yeah. I did. I did. Um also full disclosure being a program director is also a lot of paperwork. <laughs> what does less blissful? But <laughs> it's definitely a large part of the job. Um in, in addition to my philosophical <laughs> waxing and waitings, that is there's also some paperwork. Yeah, no, definitely. But I mean, we're so happy that you are in this in this leadership role. And, you know, representation, we we hear it a lot, it matters, and it really legitimately does to see a program director with black skin, natural hair, and she's owning it, um, and happy, legitimately and authentically. <laughs> is really an inspiration and it really demonstrates how far we've come um, because within the field of anesthesiology for the longest time, it's just all white guys, you know? And it's like, okay, is that to say I don't belong here? And it's like, you do. You absolutely do. And you belong in programs where they may not have like, and you know, I think sometimes the, the, sad reality is there are not black people everywhere in residency programs, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be there because you can be the first and you can blaze trails. And, you know, again, there, again, there's not a, there's not a magical utopia somewhere where there's no microaggressions, racism, sexism. Um, Cause I think if we as society had found that we would have done it by now. Um, and so I think it's all about, finding places that you're comfortable, that you feel like are meeting your goals, pushing forward. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your time um, with us and your tips and all of that, your journey. Appreciate yeah, it. absolutely. It's always great to see and hear and talk to you. Um, we, you know, one of the fun things, this is my favorite Alicia story, is that like I was your doppelganger throughout res like I think I was probably a fellow before people stopped calling me Alicia. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that, that's the best part about like when you're like you know, one of the few black girls, like we all get called after each other, kind of I know it was it was oh, but then I was like, this is a huge compliment because people always thought oh. I was like <laughs> I was like I knew more than I did, and I was like Mm, I think you mean not me, but also, well, thank you. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Allison. Did you notice for Dr. Uh, Mitchell's story, 
how even as a program director, uh, especially as a program director, given how esteemed the position is, she has to be diligent in the word choice and her actions in the professional space uh, to the point where one could argue it might be borderline on the obsessive side. Um, but we can't afford uh, as Black women to have that bad day uh, or to be uh, off of our game. We still have a long way to go in this country um, when we have to really rigidly censor ourselves uh, due to concerns that it will put that label on us. Labels that are frankly probably low-key are put on us no matter what we say or do. Uh, there is a term for this phenomenon. It's called stereotyped threat. Uh, and it's defined as a situational predicament in which people feel themselves to be at risk of conforming to a stereotype about their social group. And it is theorized to be a contributing factor to longstanding racial and gender gaps in academic performance. In season two, episode nine, we discuss how to navigate prejudice uh, in anesthesiology. Dr. Mitchell also independently reiterated the tips that I provided for interviewing in season one, episode two, as well as the rank orderless tips in season two, episode eight. It's good to have that kind of redundancy because you are then able to see what is really important. Her role as a program director is to help you find your bliss. Uh, as a trainee. And you frankly have to do the work yourself to figure out what that is. You must make time for reflection. No program, no matter how robust it is, is going to do that work for you. In Alice in Wonderland, Alice came to a fork in a road and saw a Cheshire cat in a tree. She asked the cat, what road do I take? The cat asked, well, where do you want to go? I don't know, said Alice. Then, said the cat, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Like, where do you go? Uh, so I say, don't be like Alice. 95% of people in this country are truly not successful because they don't know what they want or where they want to go. They're floating in a milieu of other people's expectations and societal pressures. Do the work to find out where you want to go, and what you want to do. You are worth the investment. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.